Wow, great to see you guys today. So glad that you're here. My name is John McLarnon, and I'm one of the pastors around here. And let's just give a special shout out to those who might be watching from Wake Forest or from our Cary campus. Hey, anybody who's watching online, thanks for jumping in today. And we're in the middle of our series, The Question That Never Goes Away. The question is why, by the way, if you hadn't figured that out yet. Today, specifically, we want to ask this question, which is, why am I here? All right, why am I here? Well, that all depends on who you ask, doesn't it? So there's a number of different places you could go to to try to get that answer. It looks like quite a few of us are asking Google. So every month, a quarter of a million Americans are asking Google this question, what is the meaning of life? And we're getting almost 400,000 responses in about half a second. So that's one possibility. Um, Earlier this morning before I, I came out to teach, Um, I took the question to Siri, all right? And you can try this later if you want to. And I just asked Siri, hey, Siri, why am I here? And she says, well, I don't know. Frankly, I've wondered that myself. (laughs) And so then I ask uh, the follow-up question, which is, okay, well, what is the meaning of life? And she says, I find that odd that you would ask this of an inanimate object. I thought, well, let's try one more time. So I ask, what's the meaning of life? And she says, "I I don't believe there's a consensus on that question. And maybe that's what we find, right, when we start to look around and ask. Um, If you're a reader, maybe you know the answer to this one. If you've ever read The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the answer to the ultimate question of life and everything is 42. So that's a possibility. I mean, maybe the answer is 42. Um, The guys from Monty Python give an answer in their movie, The Meaning of Life, where they say, well, it's nothing very special. Uh, try to be nice to people, avoid eating fat, read a good book every now and then, get some walking in, and try to live together in peace and harmony with people of all creeds and nations. So the answer to the question, why am I here? Well, it just all depends on who you ask. So several years ago, a doctor by the name of Hugh Moorhead, who's a philosophy professor at Northeastern Illinois University, wrote to 250 of the best-known philosophers and scientists and intellectuals and writers in the world, and he simply asked this question, what's the meaning of life? And he took all the responses, he compiled them in a book that he later published. So some of these famous people offered their best guesses. Some people actually admitted that they just made up a purpose for life and submitted that. And yet others were actually honest enough to say, you know what, actually I'm clueless. I I don't have anything for you. What what I found interesting though was that a number of them actually asked Professor Moorhead to write back to them and tell them if he actually discovered any answers to the purpose of life. So it seems like, like for the most part, the best we have when it comes to finding a good answer is speculation, right? It just seems like there's a lot of speculation. And and as you would expect, what I want to propose is that at least God, right, in his word should be given as much consideration for an answer, right? And so that's what I want to do today. I want to say, what does God actually have to say in response to the question, why am I here? Like, why are we here? Or is there meaning to life? Because I think most of us have asked those kinds of questions before, haven't we? Why am I here? What, what, what is the meaning of life? Or what are really the more deeper personal questions of, does my life really matter? And is there a purpose for me? So I want to talk about those things today. And I want to make sure that you have a Bible. So you raise your hand. Our ushers will give one to you. That's yours to keep. Or you can just turn it back in when you leave today. But I want to read from the Old Testament book of Psalms and chapter 139. All right, Psalm 139. If you have a Bible, you can 
you can go there, or better yet, you can just follow on the screen today as well. But while you're finding that, um, there's a quote that gets attributed to Mark Twain, and it goes like this, where he says, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. And I want to use this quote as a framework for where we want to go in the next few minutes, because I think it's important to spend a few minutes and just talk about the day you were born, right? How you got here, how I got here. And then we'll spend the last uh, bit of time together just talking about maybe why, like, why am I here? So let's go that direction. Psalm 139, written by David. This is David the shepherd boy. This is David who kills Goliath, King David. Um, David becomes an author and a poet, and he writes these words in Psalm 139 and verse 13. He says, you, he's talking to and about God, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. So here's David going, God, you made me. Like, that's his declaration. That's his belief. God, you made me. You made everything about me on the outside, and you made everything that's on the inside, you got all the details about my life, God. You did that. And the language that he uses kind of indicates that God pulled out a special sewing kit of sorts, right? And he started knitting together and, and making this unique, special creation. That's you, and that's me. Now, now when I hear that, I, I actually press pause a little bit, and I go, okay, I, I kind of get that. But I know that Jim, that's my dad, and Janet, that's my mom, they had something to do with that as well, right? <laughs> Now, think about this. Just bear with me. 200, at some point in your life, 200 million sperm started a race, all right? And 15 to 40 million of those guys were actually really good at this particular competition. 400 of them arrived at a certain destination, and 40 of them actually got close enough to touch a finish line. Now, a lot of other things had to go right, so it worked out in a 0.00002% chance that there was a winner, and that winner was you, all right? Hey, congrats. I mean, give yourselves a hand. Congratulations. You guys, you won a race, all right? You're here. That's how you got here. That's how I got here. So yeah, my parents had something to do with it. But David's saying, look, ultimately, right, God... God is the one who was in charge of all that. Now, if you can like settle on that a little bit, that's probably caused some of us to ask other questions like, okay, God, if you did that, like if you created me, why did you make me short? Or why did you make me so tall? Or why didn't you give me 20-20 vision? Or why did you do that one thing to my ear? Was that funny to you, right? And so I, I don't know the answer to that. But David's saying, look, God, God knows me. He made me the way I am, which means he chose your color and your height and your features and what talents you would have. And a truly amazing thing that David's touching on here is you have an inside, right? You have an inmost being, an inmost part to you. So your personality and your character and your, your soul all comes with God's stamp of approval on your life. You're a true design of God. And David goes on to say, thank you. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. David goes, look, man, I'm full of wonder. You're full of wonder. Just think about for a second, just something like your brain, right? Your brain, the amazing brain that you have. On day 42, you get your first neuron and you get one. And then on day 43, and for the next 120 days, you're going to go from one to 100 billion. That's why when we come out, we sleep a lot, right? We've been working hard. We're tired, so we sleep a lot. And now for, for the next um, 120 days, you're going to build 9,500 every second, 
So 60 days before you come out, things wake up and they start talking to each other and they're making connections that tell you stuff to do and things that you should know. And so that when you're one, two, and three years old, every one of your brain cells has made connections with 15,000 other neurons in a network. And David goes, man, we're, we're full of wonder. Like, you're no accident. Like, my parents may not have had a master plan for the family, but David's going, God, you were not surprised by that, right? You weren't taken off guard. He specially crafted you, and he specially crafted me. Now, I love that because it means that God didn't look at some supermodel or a professional athlete and go, man, that's about as good as it's going to get. We're just going to make everybody look just like that. We're going to make everybody like that right there. Or, you know what? I can't do better. Everyone's the same. No, David's going, look, you're a unique creation of God, one of a kind, number one, series of one. That's it, right? Unique, original, masterpiece. And then he finishes the thought this way. He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And I love this because David seems to be saying, God, you knew. Like before I ever got here, you knew. You knew where I would be born. You knew when that was going to happen. You knew where I was going to grow up. You, knew, you know where I'm going to live, which means maybe, God, you know exactly how long I'm going to be here. Before you ever got here, David says, God's writing in his journal. Essentially, God's got this diary. That's what David is saying. And God's taking notes about you and your life, right? And so his plans for your life actually predate your existence. How cool is that? And David says, all right, if you've ever wondered, essentially, if you matter to anyone, just think about how much planning and forethought God has put into you. Now, for some of us, like, that's going to be the takeaway for the day. We're going to walk out of here and go, man, I, I needed to hear that. I, did, I needed that. that. That was encouraging. Thank you so much. Others of you, a little bit more like me, are going, man, I, I still got some questions because if God does have a book like that or God does have a journal of things, could I actually know what they are? <laughs> right? Does my life matter? What should I be doing? Do I have like a real purpose? So I just want to spend the next few minutes and the rest of our time trying to answer that one. And, and I'm going to tell you on the front end, you might be a little disappointed in the end. So let me just preface all this by saying, I'm going to give you two very general things that I think are true for everyone. And then we're going to spend some time trying to figure out maybe if there's a unique thing for you. All right. Now, I want to frame that this way, because <clears throat> oftentimes during a war, army commanders have taken prisoners and they have given them this task very difficult task, to um, dig a hole on the property. And they'll give them these gunny sacks, and they'll say, you dig that hole, dig up that dirt, fill up your gunny sack, put it on your back. Through the heat of the day, march it to the other side of the camp, and, and you unload the dirt there. And the size of the hole might be 20, 30, 40, 50 feet deep. That would be the assignment. So these guys would be doing that, and they're doing that work, and it might take weeks. It might actually take months of digging this hole and transporting the dirt. And when they get that assignment done, right, and they're starting to feel a little bit of sense of satisfaction that they had actually done the thing they were asked to do, some of the really, really cruel commanders would come in and say, okay, now I want you to take that huge pile of dirt. I want you to take these gunny sacks, fill up that dirt, carry it on your back across to the other side in the heat of the day, and fill that hole in on the other side of the camp. Again, it would take weeks, it would take months to do this. Now, historically, you can actually go and you can read about these kinds of things. That the idea is that the prisoner can't actually handle the fact that what they're doing has no purpose to it whatsoever. 
It's actually been proven, right, that to carry dirt like that for days, weeks, months at a time with no purpose whatsoever has a capacity to drive a person to clinical insaneness. Now, there's a guy in the Bible who looked around and he asked himself this question, hmm, is life just moving dirt piles? It just happened to be David's son, who we just read from Psalm 139. His name's Solomon. And Solomon went on a quest to answer the question, what's the meaning of life? Like, why am I here? And he wrote down all of his findings in the book of Ecclesiastes. I I would encourage you to go back and read it at some point or to read it for the first time. Ecclesiastes. It's his journal of his experiences. So understand that King Solomon had a lot of advantages here. His father, David, he had fought all the wars, so there was decades of peace when Solomon ruled. He had left behind tons of money. We're no longer funding the war project, so Solomon's got that at his disposal. We know from other places he's the smartest or the wisest man on the face of the earth. So when you read his writings, these aren't just like the thoughts of a guy sitting in a hammock sipping drinks. Like This guy actually went in an all-out pursuit to find the answer. It cost him years of his life, perhaps millions of dollars, to reach his grand conclusion and his answer to the question. So I just want to kind of condense it for you real quickly about the quest that Solomon goes on. He starts off by studying the great philosophers, right? He tried to get more education than he already had. And there's not much that he actually didn't know. He actually says that. I think I know everything. And he got to a point where he would be walking out of a library, still scratching his head going, well, I don't know that I have the answer through education, He tried laughter, right? He tried entertaining himself. I picture him at the best comedy clubs, right? He's sipping on the best wine, and that didn't seem to work. He tried partying himself into meaning. He had bands. He had choirs. That didn't work. He tried sexual flings to find satisfaction. Whatever he wanted, he didn't say no to himself. He tried to entertain himself into meaning. He went on big building projects and art collections and real estate acquisitions, and he took trips. He went on exotic vacations, And that didn't seem to satisfy him. He tried to get pleasure out of his work, right? He he built exquisite parks. He built gardens. And the list goes on and on of all of his great accomplishments. And then he stopped and he took a look around at everything he had been doing and all the fun he'd been having, all the sweat and the hard work he'd been putting into things. And he realized there was nothing to any of it. So I looked for the answers everywhere and I didn't get what I was looking for. Now, let's just pause there for a second. Because I think there's probably some of us, maybe many of us in the room today that go, yeah, I, I, I've tried that. I tried to find purpose in the things that Solomon tried. I went after the things that he went after. Maybe you thought that education is what held the keys to unlocking life's biggest questions. Or you thought that work would somehow bring about this sense of fulfillment, right, that could help you get through life. Or perhaps the quest has been for pleasure, or it's been for stuff, or it's been for projects. And maybe through all that, you found that each thing kind of had its own place in life and it could be good. It still didn't satisfy this frustrating search. And I think there would also be some of us in the room also that kind of grew up believing, or we are currently believing, that some next stage of life was magically going to provide our lives with this sense of meaning or purpose, right? Like, when this happens, then we'll finally get the answers, right? When I get to college, or when I graduate from college, then I'm going to figure it out. Or when I get married, or when we have kids, I'll get some sense of meaning. Or when I get, you know, the first job, or when we get the home, or vacation, or grandkids, and we get the position, thinking all along the way, right, that somehow meaning's going to find us. Like, now I get it, right? I know my purpose, I think most of us have lived long enough, I hope, that that 
we realized that magic time just never really happened, did it? And, and here we are, maybe 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, in a moment of rest at the end of the day or late at night, you know, laying in bed, staring up at a ceiling, wondering to ourselves if all we've done for the last few years is just move dirt piles. Solomon goes, I get it, right? I, I tried it. I asked all the questions. And at the end of it all, he writes down his conclusion, all right? He goes, here it is. Here's my grand conclusion, the summary from everything I tried. This is Ecclesiastes 12. He says, everything's been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of all mankind. All right, generally speaking, for every single one of us, I think your first purpose is that you're here to know God, right? To have a healthy respect for God, to trust him, to know him, and then Solomon says, and to do what he says. So you were made to know God. I love the way one of the early church fathers, Augustine, actually says this. He says, you have made us, talking to God, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And what Augustine is saying, what Solomon is saying is, you're never going to find your purpose or be satisfied with who you are and what you're doing apart from knowing, from knowing God. So here we are, right, created by God, and our purpose is to know God. Uh, real briefly, two, two ways that I think are really crucial on how you get to know God. One is by reading his word, right? He's passed down things through, through the Bible, the scriptures. It, it's how he feels about us. It's how he feels about the world, things that help us get to know him, how he desires life to be lived, how he lays things out so that if we do these things, right, we experience the best life possible. So you get to know God by reading God's word. And secondly, I think we get to know God through Jesus, right? Having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ opens us up to have access to God. So two things real briefly there for you. So general answer one, why am I here? Well, I think knowing your purpose begins with knowing God. Now, let me give you a second general thing I think applies to everyone, all right? And I want to go back to David. David, who just wrote what we read in Psalm 139, had one of the great summary statements about his life pinned to his headstone. You can read it in the book of Acts chapter 13. Here's the way it reads. It says, now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. Now, that doesn't mean he was tired from doing all the things that God had planned for him to do. That means that he died, all right? So David, after he served God and his purposes in the way that God had planned for him to do it, then he died. How cool is that? I mean, not that he died, but that that's his summary, right? I mean, think about David. Little shepherd boy got picked for leadership from a very early age in his life, um, grows up, slays the giant Goliath, earns national fame, works for the king for many years and serves him faithfully, becomes king himself at the age of 30, has his certain slip-ups and failures. We know the David and Bathsheba part. But towards the end of his life, it says that David was a man after God's own heart, right? That he, he knew God. He developed this knowledge about him. He knew him intimately, and he served God. Now, part of what... Um, Purpose number two is this, right? You're here to serve God, all right? Second purpose, everyone, here to serve God. Paul, a follower of Jesus who wrote a lot of the New Testament, actually said it this way in the book of Ephesians. He says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance 
for us to do. A workmanship. I see that word and I think, man, that's exactly what David said back in Psalm 139, right? You're a work of God. So Paul, right? Paul who wrote these words, he, this happened for him as well, right? Served God's purposes. He, he grew up believing that his purpose was to persecute the church and Christians, and he did it very well. And then he became one, right? He had an encounter with God. Now he's a follower of Jesus, and God used him for other purposes. Now he's spreading the gospel. He's planting churches. He's writing large parts of the New Testament. And what Paul's saying there is part of what you were created to do is good works, right? Do good works in the name of God, right? Do good works. Serve the purposes of God with all of your heart. So we're loving God, right? And we're loving people radically. We're listening to God as he prompts us on how to live our life. We're displaying Christian character. We're showing compassion. We're reaching across racial divides. We're joining up with God in whatever way we possibly can, however it is that we're living our life. That's the way I like to think about it. I mean, how are you gonna serve God? Well, I don't know. What do you do in your life? Just take your normal everyday life and serve God. That means serving God in your family and your work in your leisure activities, on your sports team, serving God at the office, or however it is that you go about living your life. Now, we always talk around here about you should get connected around here and serve in the church, and that certainly could be a part of it, right? I mean, there's plenty of things to do here and opportunities to help connect people to God. And something really cool is sometimes is that when you're serving in the church, many people, right, many people serving in the church community have found a special, unique reason, right, like a very particular purpose for being here. Now, before we move on, just think about this, because Paul says, somewhere back there before you were born, the same idea David gave us, God was preparing things for you to do, I picture God, like, let's say, let's just assume God's doing this, and God pulls out his journal, and he's got our names over here in the left column, right? And he's writing my name down, John, and this will be spelled weird, it'll just be J-O-N, and he's going to be born in this place, and he's going to grow up here, and um, we're going to make him uh, this tall, he's going to be handsome, he's going to be very athletic. So God's writing down all these unique qualities about me, and humorous, and... Uh, and then next to that, imagine this, he's writing out things that he's planned for us to do. How cool is that, right? I mean, if I'm here to know God and then serve God, that's general. Like my ultimate quest question really is like, what would it look like for me to serve God's purposes in my own generation and then move on? Now, I think some of us are going, I, I, I get it, know God, serve God, I still have this question, and it's my question too. Really, come on, is there something specific that God has designed me to do in this world? Now, when I think about this, I think about one of my favorite movies, and we're going to go back a few years. Have you seen this movie? It's titled Simon Birch. Has anyone seen this movie? Okay, wow, okay. Um, if, if you wanted to watch it, you'd have watched it by now, so I'm just going to ruin it for you, all right? So here we go. Um, Simon Birch is a 12-year-old boy who was born really, really tiny with an abnormally small heart. He's expected to die within the first 24 hours of his life, but he amazes everybody, and then he lives to become an adolescent, which is where most of this particular movie takes place. Now, despite all of his physical handicaps, um, Simon believes that God has a plan for his life, and it's a theme that runs throughout the entire story. 
His um, parents were very disappointed with how he turned out. He was the, um, the end of many childhood pranks at school and in the community because he's, he's this miniature size and he has this really odd-sounding voice to go with it. He's got every reason in the world to question his self-worth and even maybe a purpose for living. But he embraces this condition, right? He's just believing, right? God's going to use him in a unique possibly even heroic kind of a way. And so in one scene, he sets down with the small town's minister to have a conversation, and the minister actually doubts that God could have a plan for Simon. But Simon opens up this way, and he says, look, does God have a plan for us? And the minister responds, well, I like to think so. <laughs> Simon jumps on that, right? And he goes, me too. I think God made me the way I am for a reason. He's going to use me to carry out his plans, we get towards the end of the movie and there's this one scene and Simon's riding with his classmates and they're in a school bus and they're traveling down this icy road and everyone um, is just kind of enjoying themselves. The bus driver veers to avoid hitting a deer and um, kind of slips on the icy patch and ends up going into an icy lake. Well, everyone in the front, in the upright part of the, the bus, evacuates quickly out the door, but Simon and a handful of other students are left in the back of the bus, and they're trapped, and it begins to sink. But Simon moves into action, right? He starts ordering everyone around. He opens a window and helps his classmates get out, and then um, saves himself to the very end, and he climbs out of this window, and he swims up to the surface, and uh, heroic rescue. Well, later he's in the hospital recovering, and he's um, just relishing in his accomplishments with his friend. And he just says, look, did you see how the children listened to me because of how I look? And he says, that window, it was just my size. Now, this is a thread that runs through this entire story, all right? God made me the way I am for a reason, to carry out his plans. Now, I can't tell you what you've been uniquely designed to do. I, I don't know that. I, I don't know what the answer is for you when it comes to why are you here or what's your special purpose. I can just try to give you a few guidelines this morning and, and give you a couple of questions to ask that if you were to spend some time just thinking about these questions, asking God to help you step into the right answers, you might just end up finding a special, unique purpose for your life. So I want to just close with this, all right? There's an acrostic, and it's the word for shape. This is not unique to me. You can find this anywhere. After you Google what's the meaning of life, Google shape, and this is what you're going to find. So here's what S stands for, all right? Spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts. Now, a spiritual gift is just something that you get when you invite Jesus to come into your life. You want him to be the Savior, but you want him to also be the Lord or the leader. And when you give him leadership to your life, the, he moves into your life in the form of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit moves in, he brings a housewarming gift, so to speak. And he's blessed you and empowered you with something specific that you can do for the purposes of God. The question under here is just, well, what is it? What has God supernaturally gifted me with? There's a number of tests you can take to find this. You can search for that as well. You know, spiritual gifts, assessment, and you'll find that. So here's what H stands for. H stands for heart, which is, what do I love to do? Like, what am I really passionate about? What do I care about? You could probably find that also by the opposite side of, what are the kinds of things that are happening in the world or in our community that just really make you angry? 
What are the things you look at and go, somebody should do something about that? that that'll give you an indication of what's happening in your heart. A stands for abilities, right? What talents do I have? What skills have I acquired? What do other people actually say I'm good at, right? What, what are you good at? And factor that into the equation. P stands for personality, right? Personality. In other words, how does my personality suit me? How are you organized or not organized? How are you energized or not energized? Do you gravitate towards tasks or people? Are you planned or are you spontaneous? All these are parts of your unique personality. And then the E stands for this. And when I, um, when I sit down with people these days who want to explore these kinds of issues and have these questions, I, I find I'm actually starting here as my, my beginning point. If we were to sit down over coffee and say, man, I, I want to find the thing that God created me to do, I would probably ask you about your experiences I would just say, what? well, tell me about, like, what's your story? What things have you been a part of that God allowed you um, to see some success in? What, what have been some problems that you've come through? What hurts do you have? What have been the moments of the greatest pain in your life? Because I think oftentimes when we explore those issues of our experiences, there's something hidden right there by which God wants to use us to serve other people, Right? Here's the deal, right? When you know God and when you serve God, you start to find some unique things, right, that suit your gifts and your passions and your personality. And you know what's amazing about all that? I mean, on the one hand, when you find somebody in that groove, like, it simplifies your life, doesn't it? Like, you know what you're about, and it energizes your life. And at the same time, you're bringing something to the world that it desperately needs, and so I kind of picture God over here on this side going, come on, let's, let's do it. As you come to know me and to know me better, and as you serve me, however it is that you're living your life, you might actually walk right into something specifically designed for you to do. And wouldn't that be cool at the end of the day for all of us, like all around our county, our state, to just rest at the end of the day or lay our heads down on a pillow and go, man, I was made for this. I am doing the thing that God designed me to do. And that's my prayer for you guys. And I'm going to say one for us right now. God, thank you so much that today we've got to open up your scriptures, read from your word, and just get some insights into how you feel about us. God, how amazing that you know us and you still love us. And so we thank you for that today. God, I pray for those in our room today who might just be taking a step your direction for the very first time. Maybe we've tried everything else, but today, God, we're gonna just try to know you. I pray that we follow through on that, that we have conversations that are needed to continue to take steps to know you more and more. God, I pray for the rest of us, just as we live our life day in and day out, that we have a, a mindset of serving you and your purposes. And who knows, God? Maybe we will step right into something that you've uniquely designed us to do in the world. And if so, God will give you all the credit for that. And we pray this through Jesus. Amen.